Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. February is American Heart Month, and we're spotlighting Heart Health, sponsored by Northwestern Medicine. Listen as their experts and physicians discuss heart disease, prevention, risk factors, and more. Yeah, Here's we're doing John Williams. <laughs> I keep jumping in. I'm so anxious to talk to some of these doctors, and we did it last hour. We'll do it the next hour and the hour after that, too. But we'll start today with Dr. Douglas Johnston, who is the chief of the Division of Cardiac Surgery, the surgical director, actually, at the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute, and Dr. Baljas Chima, who is with the Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant Cardiology Team at the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute. Doctors, welcome to WGN Radio. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, Dr. Johnston, Great to be here. Yeah, terrific. Let's uh, start with you, Dr. Johnston, and just talk to me about heart failure. That sounds like a generic term. I presume that means the heart stops, or maybe I'm wrong. What's heart failure? Uh, great question. People often have the misconception that it means that the heart stops, but heart failure in general means that as a pump, the heart is not functioning as well as it should. It could be that Blood is backing up through the body, and in some cases that leads to shortness of breath and fluid in the lungs, swelling of the ankles, things like that. In other cases, we think about the forward output of the heart, and that can be manifested by low blood pressure, fatigue, symptoms like that. So these can be subtle initially, but uh, advanced heart failure is a very challenging problem, definitely a multidisciplinary team type of problem to treat. I'm glad I asked that, Dr. Johnston, because I've heard people say, well, person X suffered heart failure. I assume that's a heart attack, that their heart stopped. Not necessarily, huh? Not necessarily. Heart failure is a very broad spectrum of clinical presentation. Um, Patients can sometimes just slow down a little bit, even though their hearts are really not doing well, and it may not be evident. Other times, if something changes rapidly, in particular when valves go bad, or there's coronary disease, patients may present suddenly and they come to the hospital. So we really have to have a very open mind about uh, the wide spectrum of of what patients feel when they have heart failure. Uh, Dr. Johnston, I'll ask you to answer this, and I'll ask Dr. Chima to answer it as well, but what are the risk factors then? So I think, again, I think I'll know, but maybe you'll surprise me. What are risk factors for heart failure? It's a really long list. (laughs) Some of them are genetic conditions that can affect younger patients. So we think about some of the more um, esoteric conditions we treat often at Northwestern, like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. This is a genetic condition that causes thickening of the heart, can obstruct the blood flow out of the heart. Some of them are more acquired conditions um, related to uh, the common heart risk factors we all know about, diet, cholesterol, smoking, diabetes, things like that. So um, heart failure is a, is a very broad term that encompasses a lot of conditions that patients may know they have and a lot of conditions that may exist within a family or that patients don't know they have. Outside of genetic factors, would you say smoking is the, if you could ask people to do one thing to improve their heart health, doctor, would you say stop smoking? 100%. Yeah. Dr. Chima, would you agree with that? <laughs> I agree. I agree with the characterization entirely. You know, about half of all cases of heart failure are due to ischemic heart disease. That really means that the heart is not getting the amount of blood that it needs, and that's some coronary artery disease or blockages in your heart arteries. But that other 50%, there's a wide variety of conditions that can cause heart failure, 
And thankfully, in Northwestern, we have a, a, a large team, multi-disciplinary team that can really provide patients the care they need across that full spectrum. Well, what was that HCM thing, Dr. Chima, that your colleague just mentioned? Is that a separate disease per se? It is. And so it's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. This is the most common inherited genetic condition, and it results in one part of the heart being thicker than the rest. Now, that one part can be any part of the heart and can cause patients to have particular symptoms like chest pain, trouble breathing, shortness of breath, palpitations, or a racing heart. And we are learning that more and more people have this condition. And actually, the majority of them that have this condition don't know they have it because thankfully most people don't have symptoms related to it, but you can have symptoms and you can even die suddenly. Okay. So it's important for us to know who has it so we can get the, the treatment they need. Yeah, I was going to, we'll get to that in just a second. But you say a lot of us may have it and not know it. I wonder if, in fact, it's, pro- it's a problem per se if I don't notice it. If I'm not experiencing symptoms, is it something I need to do anything about, Dr. Chima? That's a fantastic question. And you really may not need to do anything about it if you don't know it. But if you know about the condition, you can make sure that you're not passing it on unknowingly to your children because it is a disease that's inherited. And while many people will live much of their life without symptoms of the disease, they can develop those symptoms that we potentially have the chance to intervene upon earlier and know about. So I do think knowing about it is important, but a part of the reason people may not is because a lot of people have a normal lifespan, normal longevity, and and don't suffer consequences from the disease. Well, that's maybe encouraging then, right? I mean, HCM sounds... Uh, worrisome. That sounds terrible, but maybe I could live a normal lifespan. Is that true? That's the exact narrative, and and, and that's rooted in science. Our patients with HCM have a normal longevity. There's been tremendous progress in the field in the last 50 to 60 years, but it's absolutely a scary condition to be diagnosed with. One of the ways that this reaches the attention of the media and attention of the public is typically through deaths of athletes. One of the conditions that can result in athletes dying suddenly is HCM. And so we we fully understand the anxiety that this diagnosis can cause, but that's why it's important to see us so we can tell you all of the details and make sure you're getting the care you need and ensure that you're going to have the quality of life and the longevity that you want. Dr. Johnston, were I to find out that I do have that, would I not be able to play sports then? Not necessarily. As Josh said, one of our goals for any patient who finds out that they have heart disease is to understand what is important to the patient. And increasingly, the focus has shifted from longevity, which of course is important and we've been very good at increasing survival for these conditions. But we recognize that lifestyle is incredibly important to patients across the spectrum of heart disease. And so understanding what people's expectations are and what they want to do is to some extent, as important as understanding the disease process. As surgeons, when we treat HCM, often one of the goals in younger patients is to return them to normal activity, so to remove activity uh, restrictions. And in some cases, we can do that by removing that extra muscle bulk that's in the way of the blood flow in the heart. So we have a lot of solutions to bring to bear, but having that conversation, and this is often what we do as a team, you know, Josh and I, when we talk about patients, part of that discussion is going to be, what does this patient want to do? What are their expectations for our treatment? And how does that play into our options? Yeah, it'd be ironic, wouldn't it? I mean, everybody tells you us for good heart health exercise, and yet one might wonder if that's going to put me at risk 
uh, for HCM or anything else if I have a heart condition. So how do I know? Um, are the symptoms for HCM the same as general cardiac health, uh, weakness, uh, shortness of breath, that sort of thing? They can be. And, you know, that's most often the symptoms that we see are pain in the chest, trouble breathing, palpitations. And so it's important to get an accurate diagnosis. I will just say on the topic of exercise, though, we've thought about whether exercise is safe or not for people with HCM for many years, decades, I would say. And the most recent literature, the most recent science is suggesting that athletes, individuals that are doing exercise, even vigorous exercise, may not be at any more risk than the general population that has HCM. And so these conversations are really nuanced, and it's all about understanding what's important in the patient, us sharing information with them, and making a decision together. That's really the, the, the main goal that we have, is trying to make a decision together. Well, Dr. Chima, about that, does everybody who is diagnosed with HCM then undergo some sort of treatment? Does, is surgery necessary, or would you treat it medicinally, or would you just monitor it? Yeah, great questions. You know, if patients have symptoms, then we have treatment options for them. And I would say that those treatment options typically fall into four types of considerations. One is some some basic lifestyle adjustments. Two are medical therapies, and there are novel medical therapies, something called a cardiac myosin inhibitor. It's been developed in the last few years and actually targets what we think is the mechanism for why people develop this disease. And then there are surgical options that uh, trained individuals like Dr. Johnson and his team could perform, and there's a catheter-based intervention as well that can typically be used for patients that are too high risk to undergo surgery but need something done. But then many patients don't have symptoms, and they may not need any specific HCM-related therapy, but we may talk about preventing heart disease, getting enough sleep, having the right diet, getting exercise. The same advice that we should be giving ourselves, we give our family members, that we have any of our patients walking through the door just to prevent things from happening down the line. Well, you mentioned, Dr. Chima, um, the idea that you might pass it along to your kids because there seems to be a genetic trait. Do people who have HCM then, are they sometimes counseled not to have children, or what's the thought about that? So it's it's an autosomal dominant condition. So that means that if you have the disease, you have a 50% chance of passing it on to your children. That's what we believe. Those numbers are up and down a little bit, depending on the study that you look at. And so for us, it's just important to give people that piece of information and, and help support them through whatever decision they're yeah. hoping to make. Yeah, I guess that's up to those individuals. Uh, gentlemen, really interesting. I got this note from one of our listeners just now. Hey, John, it's Bill. I'm a former sales guy and a patient at Northwestern's cardiology department. I had a defibrillator pacemaker put in last June All is going well. I cannot say enough about Northwestern and Dr. Jane Wilcox's team, one of your uh, colleagues there. They are fantastic, said a listener, and uh, I suppose a lot of people would second that. Uh, Dr. Johnston, Dr. Chima, fascinating. So helpful. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us.